Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. We have a energetic, vibrant, interesting guest with you with us today, Dolly Meckler, who's an entrepreneur, content creator, digital and social media consultant, and she has pursued several successful endeavors, which she will cover on this podcast. She's the founder of Hala Dolly, which is a bread brand, bread making business. She makes bread. She started that during the pandemic. She's the creator and host of You Have Such a Pretty Face, which is an interview show about fat phobia and body image. She's the co-founder of Snap Listings, which is a real estate marketing company that utilizes video, but other advanced techniques to help market apartments, real estate properties, different stuff like that. And she's the former team member of Digital Content Powerhouses, HBO, and YouTube. So Dolly, in this interview, walks us through kind of her career progression where she got her entrepreneurial spirit, her experience at college, um, and how that kind of kick-started her career and in, into her different endeavors. And so she talks about um, this interview show that she started back at IU, where she interviewed students about common happenings on campus, um, which I thought was a really cool story and kind of teaches us when you don't have a resume for something, if you just do the thing itself, um, that can really kickstart things for you. So she really hits on that and that part. Um, talks about her first real job after college and her experience working at HBO and the lessons she learned in digital marketing, social media management, and copywriting while covering shows for HBO. Um, she talks about her entrepreneurial venture, Snap Listings, which previously explained a little bit ago, and how that kind of came to fruition. I thought it was great. So, Slayer, what did you think about the interview today? Yeah, man, real interesting conversation. Uh, I, I like to think you and I have done a lot of things. We've had cool experiences, but... Uh, Dolly, when she was at HBO, talked about working on projects for Game of Thrones, which I've never seen, but I'm sure we have someone listening that loves Game of Thrones. So uh, that was a really cool segment when she talks about, you know, kind of traversing through all these different um, experiences that she's had. So I really enjoy just how entrepreneurial this conversation was. And then she told us about moving to L.A. Uh, she pivoted her, her businesses, moved out there for a short while, then went back to New York. Uh, she was still hosting her show uh, about the female body image. Uh, so everything was just kind of blowing up all at once. And so she talks to us about how she kind of managed everything, got some things under control, had some other people help her, especially with the bread making. Uh, but then she tells us about some of the biggest mind shift or mindset shifts that she goes through with her storytelling, her branding, her marketing kind of all her different styles and the way she had to change her mindset uh, to be as successful as she is. And then she does go into more of her bread business when she got back to New York and how that accidentally just kind of blew up from a pandemic. Let me try to make bread. Everyone else is making bread. And now it's it's a crazy good side hustle. So um, things just kind of aligned for her, which was fun to hear about. And then to end the show, Dolly tells us about her future goals, you know, what uh, all successful brands have in common, which was an interesting segment as well. Uh, her advice to the audience. And then finally, as we always end things, how she wants to be remembered. So this episode is jam-packed, a lot of good info and insights, especially if you are trying to start a side hustle, you want to go full-time entrepreneur, you know, we have a little bit of everything in this episode, so a lot of good value, great key takeaways. You guys are really going to enjoy our, our conversation with Dolly. And without further ado, episode 208.
So we always like to just ask our guests, like how we got here. So you can start wherever you want. How did you get where we're at today? You can start at school. You can start before that. You know, what drove you to start your businesses, your talk show? Like, where did it all begin for Dolly? Okay. So (laughs) I think that the story really begins um, at Indiana University. Um, Well, I guess like just before that, even I've always been very like, I'm very, very entrepreneurial and like, kind of a hustler like that's just my spirit and I've always mm-hmm. been that way um and I like in high school had like little side businesses that I would mm. kind of have and I would I had jobs throughout high school and I was just like always really interested in like learning a lot and doing fit like doing stuff to mm-hmm. learn because mm-hmm. that's how I learn I just by doing um so and then when I got to school, I was very involved on campus. I went to Indiana University in Bloomington. And I just, from the second I got there, I got involved. Like I ran for president of, you know, of my dorm and I signed up for tons of, like, there's this thing in Indiana called IU Dance Marathon. That's really big. Mm -hmm. And I did that my freshman year, which is like not so typical. And I then joined a sorority and became the president of my sorority. So it was always just like, that's just my energy and my spirit. And then when I was a junior, I think at Indiana, I was applying for internships at um, entertainment, like television companies. I really wanted to work in TV. And I was applying for this internship at Comedy Central. And every time I'd come home, because I'm from here, from from New York, um, and every time I would come home, I would go and it, like I would meet with somebody from Comedy Central and like have a very casual kind of meeting. But I was like, oh, I'm gonna get this internship, right? Like this is for sure gonna happen. Like I've met this guy multiple times on the phone, whatever. Anyway, I and like it's almost summer and I don't get the internship. And I say to him, what? Like, why didn't I get the internship? And he's like, well, you don't have enough TV experience. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to get the TV experience if I can't get the internship? Right. Yeah. So I'm like, this is crazy. This actually, this was my sophomore year. So going mm-hmm. into college or junior year. So then I'm like, okay, I have to take matters into my own hands. Like I'm starting my own TV show because I don't know how else I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> so I come back to school that I think as a junior, I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm getting the date. It might've been soft, whatever. It's not freshman year. Yeah. You're <laughs> in college. Back- You've never been in TV. In college. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I'm right. I'm like, how does a 19 year old have TV experience? So right. I come back to school and I'm like, all right, I'm starting my own TV show. Like, I don't know how else I'm supposed to do this. So I go to the IU student TV network and I'm like, Hey, you guys, like I want to have a TV show. I want to have a talk, comedic talk show where I do like man on the street kind of style interviews, interviewing students around campus. And this is like 2011, 2012 at this point. So they're like, great. Okay. And then I like put together a pitch. They're like, we love it. Go make it. I'm like, what do you mean? Go make it. They're like, go make it. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how to do any of this, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. So I call the show Hello Dolly and I make a mic for myself. I like put my logo, I have a logo and I put my logo on it 
And then I find somebody, I was, I was in the telecommunication school, which is mm-hmm. now called the media school at Indiana. Huh. And um, I like put, you know, like those like tear tabs, you know, like hot, looking for um, oh, yeah. a babysitter or like mm, hiring like a, for or a model. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. Like for higher posters. So I put one of those and like the school board being like, I'm looking for someone to film. So mm-hmm. I found somebody and they carried a camera like a real video camera around and like um filmed me around campus with this microphone interviewing students on campus and then I was like all right well now I have to edit it so it was me literally in the computer labs teaching myself how to use um Final Cut Pro and Adobe Premiere Mm. and it was great because we had access to those programs in the telecom school so Mm. I was able to do that and it was truly like trial and error messing up Google searching having a friend of a friend help me like teach me just like sitting there watching him into like the wee hours (laughs) of the night like 4 a.m. you know in the trenches yeah truly like in the studio right yeah so (laughs) so we were doing that and then I had my first episode and it was so exciting. And um, they were putting the student TV network puts the show on in the dorms. And I was like, this is so lame. Like nobody, (laughs) nobody watches the TV in the dorms. And like people that weren't freshmen didn't even have access to it. And they didn't live in the dorms. After you're a freshman, you don't even live in the dorms typically. Mm -hmm. So I was like, no one's going to see this. Like, this is just, this is so dumb. Wait a second. The internet, like, wait, I'm putting this on YouTube. So I put the file up on YouTube and I'm like, how I need to like, should I open a Facebook page? Like Instagram wasn't even a thing yet. Mm. So I open a Facebook page and I'm like, I put the link to the YouTube on the Facebook page and I'm like, hey guys, like I'm dropping the link at 8 p.m. on Tuesday, like send me selfies watching it. And I started to, you know, gain followers on Facebook. And this was like the first time that I, I did this without even realizing, like driving audiences to content using social media. Mm -hmm. And I then, after that, like it was so fun. It was a success. It was up on the internet and it became a thing on campus. And then I started to like, then Instagram happened. So I started to chalk around campus being like, download Instagram, follow at hello Dolly. Mm, Um, And it became this thing, but like very like grassroots, you know, like really on the field doing the thing. And then I had an Instagram, whatever. And, and then the fu- the next year I did it again. And I had like friends of mine who were correspondents on the show. Um, and it became a thing on campus, which is really fun. And people yeah. would recognize me and want to be in it and yeah. whatever. Um, so then when I graduated, I was like, all right, I'm doing this TV thing. Like I now have proof of concept that this is what I want to do. And I graduated and I got a job at like a production company. It was freelance. I was there for a second. I left. I then worked at an ad agency. And then I worked at WME, William Morris Endeavor. Do you know what that is? The talent agency? Mm-hmm. No. So have you ever seen the show Entourage? On oh, HBO? yeah. Entourage. Mm-hmm. Oh. So that yeah. is WME. That is okay. Ari is based after Ari Gold is based on Ari Manuel of WME. And okay. it really is like that. It's you're in the mail room. So you're literally sorting mail for the agents. And then like Lloyd, he's the assistant. Uh-huh. And all these all the agents have assistants. And you're like working, you're trying to work your way to the top, right? Like in yeah. Hollywood, really learning who's who. And it was I really like I explain it as like this entertainment grad school kind of like it's like mm-hmm. young kids they are 
getting paid $10 an hour and they are worked to the bone and you are literally sorting mail for (laughs) celebrities, agents, you're seeing like the, the legal, like all of that legal documents coming through bills, all of that. And so you're really learning a lot just by being there. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're meeting a lot of peers. So other industry people, right. Who come up with you from the mailroom. So like Mm -hmm. people that I've been in the mailroom with are like development executives now and like that sort of thing. So once I was at WME, it was crazy because when I was in college, I had reached out to this guy who worked at Bravo at the time and he was running social at Bravo. And I was like, oh my God, like I love the Real Housewives. Like I want to work <laughs> at Bravo and run social media. That sounds so fun. And we had just connected on LinkedIn and he went to Wisconsin. So we had that like, you know, Midwest connection and he didn't have a job, but we stayed in touch. And like, every time I came home, I would go and get a coffee with him at Rockefeller center and whatever we became like contacts. So fast forward after college, when I was working at WME, I got an email from him out of the blue. He had moved over to HBO and he was doing social for game of Thrones um, at HBO. And he was like, he sent me an email and he's like, Hey, you know, you're the first person I thought of. We're finally hiring somebody on my team. Do you want to come do this? And I'm like, Mm yeah are you kidding cool like great get me out of the mail room (laughs) so i leave the mail room and i go to hbo and i was when i was at h i was there for about four years where i was doing social running social for game of thrones westworld and high maintenance girls one season of girls and different shows kind of in between the seasons of game Mm -hmm. of thrones and westworld and i learned that's where that was like my first big job and really learning a lot about um social media as like yeah through strategy and like really doing it for a huge, huge account and yeah. brand. That's, um, ama- that's amazing that you took like no experience and then you built your own proof of concept. You built your own quote unquote resume with your show at IU and you, that's practical experience. And that's kind of what got your foot in the door. So I that's really awesome appreciate that, that. that. And it's, you know, I would always send him like the links, like, Hey, new episode. I just did a new episode. So it was always very top of mind for him. Right. And like, he saw like, she's not only saying that she wants it out, but she's like doing the thing. Right. She's mm-hmm. making the show. She's yeah. promoting it on social media. And I always say that to people. Like, it's like, you could talk about what it is that you want to do. Uh-huh. Just do it. Because yeah. once right, you right. do it, you can like, you really learn a lot. Like I learned so much about, I know how to edit video and how to use sound equipment and how to right. do all of that. Yeah. And then I have all this like industry experience having worked in the mailroom. So I know that like kind of that back background info to then uh-huh. apply to like whatever it is that I wanted to do next. Right. Um, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And when I think of that, I the first thing I think of is like, I don't know if you've seen Humans of New York where or so sometimes they do. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like, was that kind of how it was? Are you like, what, what types of questions mm. would you ask students? Like, what was like, what did the content look like? What sure. was kind of the mission? Uh, Cause I want to unpack that a little bit too. Cause I think that's really cool that you did that. So I, I yeah, want okay. to talk more about that too. Sure, we'll, sure. We'll, we'll so go like, along the line, but I just, I just want to unpack that a little bit more. Yeah. So like my first episode, I, okay. Indiana has this football team that like uh-huh. is not a big deal. Everyone's really into <laughs> the basketball. It's everyone's really into the basketball. And like, right, I that's how Butler is. We get it. <laughs> is about, uh, honestly, I don't know anything about sports. So is it the same at Butler? Same thing. Yeah. yeah. Butler football, you don't write home about. 
about it. Right. Okay. So <laughs> Indiana football is like no big thing, but the tailgates are huge, right? Like mm-hmm. everyone goes okay. to the tailgates, yep. but no one goes to the game. So <laughs> like my first episode, I went around campus and I asked people like, who's your favorite IU football player? And oh, nobody could answer it. Like it was just hysterical. And then I would like, I found football players on campus and like asked them. And like, so it was like stuff like that. Yeah, that's, that's okay. cool. Good. Just hey, did you hear? Happened. No one knew about your name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're no one's favorite player. What do you think about that? Exactly. I know. I know. So <laughs> it was stuff like that. But then, like an episode, like we went, we went into the stadium, and like we, I had a how-to correspondent, which was a friend of mine, Dylan, who like took people behind the scenes and we like showed the gym where they were all working out and we went on the field so like just stuff That's like cool. that yeah yeah just, yeah fun. just like co- campus life college life yeah, pretty yeah. much anything so that falls like, under that umbrella yeah, yeah. Exactly. And people love that like a day in the life of whether it's an athlete or like people love the day in the life videos yeah totally like, that's what gary v lives on yeah it's just that's true Dana that's Light, true. pretty much yeah right. and i use i use a huge campus like it's like it feels like its own city in itself so i'm sure like totally. having a show like that kind of builds like a sense of community and makes people feel a little more interconnected as such a big totally. school. Totally. Yeah. And then my friend, Abby, who's still one of my best friends to this day, she was the fashion correspondent and mm-hmm. she just like went up to people at tailgates and was like, tell us about what you're wearing. <laughs> and it was so like silly because everyone was drunk and uh-huh. everyone looked absolutely crazy. And it was just, it was really fun. It was just fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I want to get back to HBO too, but I also want to ask yeah. you when college ended, was this the type of thing where like, did this feel like your own personal show brand? Was it like attached to the IU media no. or, and did you want to like continue it and intend yes. to continue it after college? Yes. Okay. So okay. it was like fully my thing. Like I, yeah didn't even talk to the student TV network anymore. Like it became yeah. my own thing and it became like very much part of my identity. And so yeah. then when I moved to New York, I started to do it in New York city. So I would okay. have, I still had my mic and I had, I bought a camera and I would have a friend who would come around with me around New York city. And I would like, mm-hmm. you know, interview people about dating in mm-hmm. like Washington square park or like asking people to I did like outside the Tiffany store on Fifth Avenue like nice. why do you love this person it was like a Valentine's Day episode so yeah. like yeah, tell yeah, me yeah. a haiku you know a love haiku like stuff like that mm-hmm. um and it's just so interesting because this was I mean before 2015 even so it's like now this is all over TikTok and it's like such a thing mm-hmm. and it's just like I didn't have that platform that these kids are now doing uh, Mm -hmm. that they now have. So it's just like funny to see like having done it and like doing it on very small scale because there's no virality kind of the same way that TikTok is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I keep thinking about like, I should just cut those up for TikTok and like put them up on TikTok. I was going to ask if you have a TikTok for it. I don't. And I, I'm just like, uh, frankly, like I'm, too tired to do it now like it's (laughs) i'm like older and i'm just like oh i don't want to do it anymore but i have so much content that i just like it just wasn't the time in history to put it out you know and then i also i moved to los angeles and we'll get into that in 2019 and i and i did it in in los angeles i made Mm -hmm. episodes out in la and um i it was like so it's so fun so yeah right yeah. and yeah. like 
I mean, the advice, the initial advice that you got may have been the best advice when they said, go build it. Like, don't, don't yeah. like lean on us. Like the fact that they told you to do that made you and forced you to learn new skills, video editing, everything that gave you the foundation. So. Absolutely. And you know, it's really interesting too, is like, I remember just, I always had like these great meetings with people. Like it would be these different, you know, execs at different TV networks or wherever, just being like, how can I get a job here? How can I get a job here? And they Mm -hmm. always said to me, like, just keep doing what you're doing, keep doing what you're doing. And I always got so frustrated by that response because I was like, what do you mean? Like, how long do I have to do this? Like, (laughs) you know, like I've done it, like here I've shown you, but it's like funny the way the world works. It's like, if you keep pushing something, like it does work out eventually. It's just like, you have to be patient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most of Yeah. And like during the times when you don't feel like pushing anymore, you got to remind yourself, like, this is where most people stop and quit. It's really just kind of exactly. a sur- survival of the fittest type of thing, but 100%. also a passion. Yeah. Like exactly. By passion. So. Exactly. And I got to imagine some of those uh, people at those bigger companies wanted to see if you were really into it. Like that, like you are a doer, but they probably didn't know you from Adam. So it's like, okay, this, this girl just wants to work for, you know, HBO, whatever, Bravo. And they probably wanted to see what can she do in the first place? Totally. Like I think to you, like that, you really loved it enough to do it on your own. When someone said, go do it. Like, ah, fuck it. Okay. (laughs) I, I, I will. Totally. Totally. Like there's a distinction between like saying you want to do something and doing the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can only be shown not told right Right. yeah you have to do it yeah Yeah. okay all right so yeah mailroom and then hbo so what how what were you feeling going into hbo were you nervous like what what was kind of your mindset going into that like you said that first legit uh experience i i remember my first day and i was like oh my god this is so exciting like (laughs) this is a real job and like this is like like an adult job. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is, this is so cool. Like, I'm just so excited to learn. Like I, that's, mm-hmm. I've always, I'm really just a very curious person. So like, mm-hmm. I just love to learn from other people and to like soak it all in. So mm-hmm. I just, I didn't, I really didn't know what to expect. And I, I was like, I, I guess I can do this. Like, I, you know, it's very like imposter syndrome all the time, mm-hmm. but, but I realized that I really could do it, Um, but it was just really exciting and, and kind of very unknown what Mm -hmm. was going to happen. And it like turned into this really big and exciting chapter of my life. That was such a moment in like cultural zeitgeisty time. Uh huh. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you have a pretty good idea of what you would be doing in that role? Like, do you remember like what your job title was you got hired for? Yeah. Or was it kind of like an open creative role? Yeah. My title when I started was coordinator, like digital uh-huh. and social media coordinator. So okay. I was working for that guy who I had met on LinkedIn. His name is right. Michael Hoffman and he was my boss. And it was basically like, I think I was doing a lot of like copywriting for tweets and Facebook posts and okay. um, even like capturing images, photos, photography for our Twitter and for Instagram. And it's funny to see how social media as an industry has changed over the like even the last i don't know 6 years because all of that stuff was very scrappy and in house at the time and now there are like agencies that do that that you can hire mm-hmm. who have these very professional uh very experienced professionals who do these things so 
But at the time, like I said, it was like me literally writing tweets for Game of Thrones. And like, mm-hmm. I don't think they're doing that anymore. They're probably hiring. And most most networks are hiring agencies to be doing like that kind of nitty gritty social stuff. Yeah. But I got in at a really cool time because I I had the opportunity to do that stuff. And I, I also like, it's interesting because social media is such a new industry and, and, you know, people who were, were like VPs of social media, I don't know, even five years ago, like never were coordinators of social media. Like they mm. were just marketing people mm. who didn't really have the, who didn't grow up with social and like who didn't, you know, have that super like low level, those low level jobs. So it's interesting. Like it'll be really interesting to see what happens the next five years where like VP people who are in VP positions they're going to, it's the first time that they will have been those very low level positions and they'll really know how to use social in a way that people have never kind of had that experience before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you see some of that at HBO too? Like were there people above you where they really didn't know the lay of the land like you did? I, I mean, I think you know, when you're, when you're running social, especially when you're like a community manager or like really being the one who's, who's interacting with the community every day and with the followers, like there's, there's no, uh, substitute for that. Like you can't Mm -hmm. replicate what that, what that learning is like, like no one is closer to it than your community manager. And you can be the CMO, the VP of social, and like, you don't have, as good a grasp on what's really happening unless you're in the trenches doing it yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And from that experience itself, like what's, what are some of the biggest tools knowledge that you took that allowed you to continue be, to be successful at, after that? Cause you've done sure. a lot of different things, but it sounds like creating content, t- telling like brand storytelling, like yes. what, what are the things that you took from like HBO that allowed, that gave you that foundation going forward after HBO? So I really think that that, that kind of the experience at HBO solidified to me that there is a skill when it comes to digital storytelling. Uh-huh. Um, and that's kind of been like the through line through all my work to this day, even though I'm not necessarily working at like a TV network anymore, mm-hmm. but it's all about how do you tell stories online in a digital, uh, on a digital medium. Mm -hmm. So even like, you know, when I was doing it in college, like I was doing it without even realizing that I was doing it. And Mm -hmm. I was telling these stories in these short web series videos. And then it turned into short social content that I was posting. And then it turned into a job at HBO where I was creating content and, and, uh, managing social for, one of the largest like TV brands in the world. Mm -hmm. And then it even, and it it just reaffirmed to me, like there's so much that you can do when you look at things through a lens of storytelling. And I think that my background in entertainment really uh, helps me and supports that. Like, so when I was at HBO with Michael Hoffman, who was my boss, who I mentioned, I had this idea where I was like, Hey, you know, and I'm, I'm always on social media. So I'm always using it. And I always think that that is like the best way to learn about it is if you do it yourself. But I, this is like Snapchat era of history when I'm like on Snapchat all the time, it's 2016. And I was at a friend's apartment in New York city. And I was, you know, they had 
they had this incredible apartment. Like they had a backyard, they had a washer dryer, they had brand new appliances in the kitchen. And like, that's unheard of in New York city. Right. And they were and, like, <laughs> these boys were paying like, I don't know, $1,200 each. I was like, this is crazy. Like this does not exist. So I put it on my Snapchat and I started doing like a video tour and I'm like, you know, like, here's the kitchen. Oh my God, there's two, wa- there's a washer dryer. They have a backyard. And I posted it as a story on my Snapchat and I had people sharing it with friends and I had people responding to me being like, oh my God, where is this place? And where do mm-hmm. I sign a lease? And I had this <laughs> kind of like insight epiphany of like, whoa, why is no one doing this? I'm going to do this. So Hmm. then I went to Michael and I said, Michael, I have this idea. It's a Snapchat account for real estate agents to show off their listings in New York City. And we could get young people to, you know, DM the agents that day and be like, I want to rent your apartment. So I was like, okay, this is a business. So then I say, so I told Michael about it. He's like, this is genius. I want to do this with you. Like, let's do it. So we started this company called Snap Listings, which was exactly what I just described. It was Mm -hmm. this Snapchat uh, account where we became like these casting agents almost and found these young, digitally native, big personality, young agents, New York City, who would come onto the account. We'd give them the password and they became like our correspondents who would show off their apartment rentals or listings like to sell to Mm -hmm. our audience. And we built this audience and we would like, it was really fun. Like at the time, this was 2016, like, like, um, real estate marketing was very stale and had never been disrupted. So people didn't really know how to use it that mm -hmm. well at that point. I mean, it was just wide angle lens photography of apartments. And like, it was very, manipulated photography like you couldn't really get a sense of what these apartments looked like yeah and especially in a place like new york city where you know apartments go fast and and there's also like real there's like there's a real estate porn kind of um component too of like you want to see these like very luxurious kind of Mm. apartments that you people don't get access to so we started showing those on the account as well and and it was really fun because our agents would show it was very like very casual like our agents would like stand on a kitchen island to like show the height of the ceiling and like would jump off of it to show like how big the apartment was right like these weren't photographs that would that you'd have to like go in person and really see you could get a sense of it from the video yeah but again like it was like how do we tell these stories with a beginning a middle and end on snapchat to to actually like move apartments in New York and it worked, which was crazy Mm -hmm. because then the company ended up getting acquired in 2017 by a digital marketing agency who does real estate, like real estate marketing. They're based in Australia. They wanted to start something in New York. They took over our company and now they have, there's a company called snap listings in New York, which I'm the co-founder of. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. That's so cool. And you, you guys started this like w- like you left HBO to start this. Where, no, where does it fit this on was that like timeline? our this night job. Them. That's this cool. was okay, like gotcha. it was like Game of Thrones by day and snap listings so by night. At the, same, <laughs> at the same time, I love that. Hey, you, you weren't kidding when you said you're a hustler. Yeah, you weren't kidding. We're just doing it right. It yeah, was so fun, and I like we it. had an we got an ad week article like when we first started, and we were like, this is crazy, like you know, one week they're writing about Game of Thrones and then like the next week, like it's about us and about the social media thing that we started. And we just like, couldn't believe that 
you know, like, like it was like our little night project and it was, yeah. it was very disruptive to the real estate industry. And then New York, the New York post wrote something about it in CNBC. And it's funny because now in a post COVID world, like the only way to show property, especially in your, I, I'm, I can imagine everywhere is through video tours. And we're like, mm-hmm. we invented that and like, we did it. And it's yeah. so mm-hmm. cool to see that like it caught on. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's interesting because I remember uh, before I started my business, my career coaching business, I ran the marketing for a property management company and I was I was the marketing coordinator. And I just remember one of my tasks was going through uh, different vendors of people who did something similar to that. So this was in like, this was like 2019, 2020, mm-hmm. like right before the pandemic started. So yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about that. Yeah, that you kind of disrupted that in the New York market. And yeah, there were so probably so many companies that sprung up because of that. So I will say I'm not going to name the company, but there is a company that has these digital billboards all around the city that has a very similar name to mm-hmm. Snap listings, and I'm just like, all the naysayers, like, look at it now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it's got so acquired, great. I hope you had a piece of that, like as co-founder. <laughs> yes, of course, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that is that was great because that's actually what led me. So after HBO, I then went to YouTube. I got okay. a job at YouTube where I was running their brand social, so like the at YouTube handles across all social platforms, mm-hmm. and it just it wasn't for me, the job. I was there for six months and I quickly realized like it was not a good fit and I left. And the plan was to move to LA. Like I had been in New York city my whole life. I was like, I got to go out to LA. Like I'm going to try something new. And I didn't have a job. And I, you know, what I did have was this chunk of cash that I had made from snap listings where I had the ability to like move myself to Los Angeles and just like see what I could do and mm-hmm. freelance and try. So when I went to LA, um, I, like I said, like I was just looking for freelance work and there really was no plan other than that. Mm-hmm. And it was really such an incredible time in my life where I was really able to uh, create without um, any like boundaries or without any other kind of work related responsibilities and I could in LA is such a conducive environment to creative people and the sun is always shining and you want to be outside and you know that's why creatives are there like everyone's mm-hmm. making something and everyone's trying to make it and to do something so it's really it really does like you're able to harness this energy that like is very rare in other kind of parts of the country mm-hmm. um But while I was there, like I started to, you know, I'd wake up and be like, all right, what should I do today? Like, I'm going to make a video and (laughs) I would make a video and I would have a camera and I had a friend who would come, um, you know, film me with my microphone and we would make these videos around Venice and um, on these real, this popular hike called Runyon Canyon and just all these fun and the pink wall. Do you know the pink wall? No. Mm -hmm. It's just like this. It's. It's so Instagram. It's just like a pink wall. (laughs) It's a pink wall in Los Angeles that people come from all over the world just to take a photo in front of. And like I interview people at the pink wall, like, you know, stuff like that. So that was really fun. But while I was there, I, you know, COVID happened and I, nobody was hiring freelancers when COVID Mm -hmm. happened. I had only been in LA for like five, six months when COVID happened and I, didn't find really any work by then. I think I had one client at that point and COVID happened. I was like, well, I'm definitely not going to find work anymore. What do I do? 
So I was like, all right, two weeks. We all thought that this was going to last two weeks. And I was like, all right, everyone's making bread. <laughs> so, so I was like, yeah, that you, was a thing. Yeah, it like, was totally yeah, a thing. Black market toilet paper. Everyone like, we talking about. You do both. Like you're. It was like the sourdough era of COVID. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, wait, it's I want to. Like sourdough's pretty it's good. Fire. It's fire. Yeah. It's so good. But I, I, I was like, wait, I want to try. Like I have nothing to mm-hmm. do. I've got to pass the time. Like I want to try. And when I looked at a recipe, I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. This is like out of my wheelhouse. I'm not a baker. I'm not a cook. Like I cannot do this. I don't know if you've ever looked at a recipe for sourdough. It's hard. I've not made sourdough. I've made other homemade bread, but not sourdough. Well, there's this thing called a starter, which is like, do you know what a starter is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's that I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. You basically have to like grow yeast out of your home and yeah. feed it and like yeah. take care of it. And I've killed every plant that I've ever had. <laughs> so I was like, I can't do that. But I was like, challah bread. Like I could try challah bread. Like kids make that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to try a challah. So I looked up a recipe for a challah, much easier. But this was also yeast gate. Like there was no yeast available in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to like, truly there was no yeast because everybody was making bread. And I remember I just documented me like going around Los Angeles looking for yeast. And I like, somebody sent me a tip on like DM being like, there's a bodega on Sunset that has, um, that has yeast like go. And I'm like, I'm there. And I went and I bought all the yeast and I started to make challah bread and it came out and I was like, I shocked myself. I was like, it's so beautiful. I can't believe it. And I posted it on my Instagram. And again, kind of like the snap listings example I gave, like people started to DM me and be like, Hey, can I buy one? I was like, (laughs) yeah, okay. I'm open for business for sure. So then I was like, wait a second, I'm a brand marketer. Like I'm going to make a brand out of this. So I was like, all right, I'm going to call it Hala Dolly instead of Hello Dolly, because that was the name of my web series. And I'm going to start this little bread company out of my apartment in West Hollywood. And I started to bake and people would come, they'd pick it up and I would document everybody coming to pick it up and I would put it on online and it became like this thing. And then um, nothing, it just like, it was a really great hobby for me, but it also like gave me this new kind of life of like, look, I can truly, and it proved, it really proved to me that like, I can tell, I I know how to tell stories online, no matter Mm. what it is. It can be television. It can be real estate. It can be bread. (laughs) Like we can make content, you know? Um, so that's how I started my next business called Hala Dolly. Uh-huh. And also during COVID, I, I continued my web series, Hello Dolly, but I kind of flipped the format of it. And instead of going out on the street, I started to kind of, I mean, we were all inside, like thinking a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I really looked in internally and I was like, what is important to me? Um, what do I want to talk about online? Like, you know, I have the attention of so many people right now. And like, how can I use this attention for good? So I was like, I want to start having conversations with girls, women who have grown up in larger bodies and who have experienced like fat phobic experiences. And what has that been like, especially being indoors where like all you have is to think about your body and like, 
eat. Like that mm-hmm. was what everybody was doing. And there was like yeah. a lot of just like, you know, yeah, th- you really had to think about it. You had to really like look in the mirror and think about it, you yeah. know, and like <laughs> take care of yourself, but yeah. also what does taking care of yourself look like? Yeah. So I started to interview women and about, yeah, just like fat phobia and what it's been like inside and like what their experience has been in their life as little girl growing up. And it was, I had these very vulnerable conversations with plus size models, um, fashion professionals, actually my gender teacher from Indiana, who is like still one of the smartest people I know to this day. She's incredible. Jen Maher. And um, I just, we were talking about like what that felt like. And Mm -hmm. it turned into this very uh, deep and relatable content that I really had never, you know, I was always doing like this comedy thing and it just was so different than anything I had done. And it really resonated with people. And to me, it really tied in a lot with the challah because it was like bread was something that I never really let myself eat or uh, wanted to be around me. And like, I had this whole new sense of perspective of like, bread is okay. And it's not, you know, this devil. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, like, how can I like enjoy things in my life and, and enjoy food and especially being indoors all day. So like, that was kind of this new kind of turn in my, like, just personally Mm -hmm. that I went through and the content, like, I can't even, the messages that I received and like, these people who I've met through interviewing them, like it changed my life. Yeah. I love that. And were there commonalities between all these women, like dealing with plus size, like from any childhood commonalities, uh, certain mindsets, any parental things, like what were some big common things that you saw that uh, may have led to them being bigger people? Sure. Well, what was crazy was that everybody's story was exactly the same. And when you grow up where like your whole life, you're told that, you know, you're fat or you need to Mm -hmm. lose weight. It's very isolating. And you really think that you're the only one going through this. And the biggest takeaway for me was that we all had the exact same story and we all like, just didn't, we hadn't found each other. And like, we Mm -hmm. didn't know that we were all going through this. And what's been so incredible is like, it's on, it's all over TikTok now. Like girls talking about this all the time and like you know girls in fat bodies who are like what this is crazy like these brands don't make my size I can't go shopping at Zara and like there's this one girl who does like hauls on Zara and you know she shows that nothing fits but you think that like their extra large size would fit but like it doesn't and she's not like huge you know Mm -hmm. so just it was really crazy how similar everyone's story was. And, and even like people's responses to the video, like on the comments on all of the, on all of my videos are like, whoa, like this really resonated. This was my Mm -hmm. experience. Like, thank you so much. Like it really opened my eyes, blah, blah, blah. So that was really interesting. But I mean, everything from, you know, poor experiences shopping with their mothers when they were little and dressing Mm. room trauma Um, experiences with doctors. When you like go in and you say you have, you're like, you know uh, you have a stomach ache or you have a headache and the doctor is like, well, you should lose weight, you know? And it's like, right. Well, that has nothing to do with it. And um, so that and um, experiences dating and, you know, 
love and even friendships. And it was just all, we all had the exact same story, which was Mm -hmm. so crazy. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Yeah. Interesting how, uh, how you pivoted your storytelling into something that, that you, you know, you said how it, how funny it is that things work out the way they work out. Yes. And a year before that, you probably never thought that you were going to be doing that kind of kind of content. It was really scary for me to put that out because I never talked about that online. Mm-hmm. And it was just like in one video, like I'm fully crying. And like, <laughs> it was just like crazy that it was, it, it just like COVID really changed my life. And I'm very blessed because it had a positive impact, even though there was so much like disaster and horribleness. And I can't even believe that like we've gotten through it. There were a lot of like, aha moments that happened to me that I'm really so grateful for. And I never would, they never would have happened had COVID Mm -hmm. not happened. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a ton of people where like in horrible times like that, there is a lot of opportunity, like in recessions, there's opportunity there. So there's always something that if you take advantage the right way, like Tim, you told me, who was it? I think it was P Diddy that Uh said, if COVID doesn't bring out the hustle in you, you ain't got it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm curious, let's say since 2019 and now 2019 into 2020, what is one of the biggest mindset shifts you've had with your storytelling and marketing since then? Like how I know your content has changed, but in terms mm-hmm. of maybe the way you do things, approaches, what's one of the biggest shifts that you've had for your businesses? Mm, that's interesting. Well, one thing that I always say to my clients, because, right, so just to wrap that all up, like now what I do is I freelance and I help brands and and individuals and companies do social strategy and content ideation. Mm -hmm. And um, I still have my Hala business that kind of like is this kind of running on its own situation at this point. But one thing that I always say is like, you just don't know what works until it works. And like, you really have to throw spaghetti at a wall and see what sticks. Otherwise, like, there's no way to know. And especially social media, which is this very like, you know, ephemeral platform where things work one week and don't work the next, like constantly just putting different stuff out. You just don't know what's going to stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one nice thing though, is like, that's fast feedback. Like the market is quick on yes. social media mm-hmm. yeah. and I hate going for, for likes or shares, things like that, but there are metrics. So like Tim and I will look at our, our Instagrams for our businesses and see, okay, this is your insights in the last 30 days, how many people you've reached mm-hmm. and a certain post might explode. And then you take time to do something else and just, it, it flops. Totally. So it's very fast feedback. So it's blessing and curse. But if you follow data, then you can start to alter your the way you tell stories and how you market. And exactly, you know, mm-hmm. exactly. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And what I just thought that was so cool about everything you mentioned is like you and you hinted it when you started the uh, the, the most recent radio show. The audience you had, like you have the audience. Um, what can you do to provide value for them and yeah. be relatable? And the fact that you've built like your own personal audience for your own personal brand, all like starting from college and you've done like different life experiences, but I'm sure in the meantime, you've gained people following like you as the person, what do you think has kept people stuck around you for so long? Like why have the people that started following your personal story from the beginning, 
why are they still following you now despite all the different things that you you've done like anything that you've done consistently that has like made them follow you i guess that's so interesting i mean i, I really don't have that big of a following but like i i really feel like i have um been consistent though yeah it's consistent and it's also um like uh strong do you know what i mean like it's not yeah. just like you're loyal loyal yeah. i have a loyal yeah. following yeah you have um, a cult you can say no i'm just kidding no no no, no, no. <laughs> no i'm like kidding no, no, no. but i have like not dave you know, matthews what <laughs> yeah it, yeah um, i have um i have like a loyal but t- small following yeah. yeah of people who you know have come into my life in different i guess chapters so it's like how I said, like, I've always been this person who's very like larger than life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I have my like childhood friends and I have then going into college, like I was very much like this personality at school. And I mm-hmm. was, like I said, like even the president of my sorority and I was very involved in the Greek community and I was, had this web series. And then like, when I graduated, like, I got this really cool job and I, I was seeing things that people, you know, didn't have access to. And I, I feel like I'm somebody who really, um, or at least I like to think that I'm somebody who, um, doesn't take opportunities for granted and really Mm. like lives those experiences, um, who like real, who really, I guess, I immerse myself into those experiences to the, to the fullest extent. Sure. I really want to feel whatever it is that I'm doing all the way and like mm-hmm. embrace it and, you know, be all in on it. So yeah. Yeah. I feel I like that. perhaps that could be part of it of like, you know, when I do something, I do it 110% and like, I want to feel it and I want to, mm-hmm. I really want to do it all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Cause there's so many people out there too that like, they have that feeling, but there's something multitude of reasons that keep them from executing it and like taking that extra step. And yeah. I'm sure that people there, there's been people that have watched you that you've inspired them to kind of take that extra step and immerse themselves in whatever they're thinking about starting or, or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, I good. would hope, I hope. And, you know, yeah, I don't know. Like, I also think that there are, I've had like these very distinct chapters in my life where I don't think everything is forever. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, sometimes can be, I feel a little bit, um, maybe, I don't know if it's disappointed in myself or like ashamed that like I can do something and then like, it doesn't fit my life anymore. So it's like, okay, that doesn't really serve me anymore. What's the next thing. And instead of like being ashamed or disappointing in myself that like, all right, this was a phase, like you're moving on to the next, like embracing that and being like, I'm a different person now. Like right now, you know, there's COVID. Like I, I might not be doing the same stuff that I was doing last year because the circumstances have just completely changed and I've Mm -hmm. changed. So now is a moment in my life where I want to like do this thing and it might be different than something I've done in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's healthy though. Like, yeah, no shame to it. I mean, from people to, to jobs, like you outgrow things and it's exactly people, people that stick with the same how miserable are they for 30, 40 years, you know, like from work to spouses, you, you see it all the time. Like when I was sure. in corporate, everyone complained about their spouse, their <laughs> everyday life They like, you know, and it was 
quick pleasures all the time just to escape for a little bit. Right. So I, I think that's super healthy that you're able to, all right, that doesn't serve me. Bye. Like that's, yeah. it has to, you have to cut people loose sometimes um, or things, you know, but I, I think with your content and I hate to throw this word out, but it seems like you're very authentic. Thank like, you. Like you're, you know, there's no front. What you see is what you get. You, you love doing radio shows. So you walk the streets and interview people you know, you love telling stories. So you do branding and like you do the things you want to do and it works. Like, I, like there's nothing, no surprises, you know? And I think people like that when they find someone who's not full of shit, let's just put it, you know? <laughs> I really appreciate that. And I do think that, that I am like a product of New York in that way of like mm-hmm. very upfront and honest. And I can't, I wear my emotions on my sleeve and I can't, hide those things and like what you see is what you get right mm-hmm. right gotcha yeah that's one thing new yorkers will, they'll tell it straight <laughs> they will yeah. and you know they get a bad rep for not being nice i don't think that they're not nice they're just honest yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> walking through the streets of new york people get on me <laughs> oh okay well i hope to change that about you one day like your your perception of that one day it has I'm been a very... while since i've been out there though it's been a while I'm very like an ambassador of New York where like whenever I see anybody like with a map, I'm like, I stop and I'm like, hi, can I, where do you need to go? Like, yeah. what can I help you with? Yeah. The tour guide in New York. <laughs> yes. Cause yeah. I want people to leave this place and love it. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. I'll, I'll follow. Um, there's a couple like watch dealers that I'll follow uh-huh. and you know, on TikTok, I think by the way, you'd blow up on TikTok. I think, and it's just a different way to get massive eyes. Yeah. Super quick. Can but, I ask you like what you mean? Like maybe the man on the street stuff or maybe the interview stuff that I was doing? All, what all do you of think? it. Like your brand, like you uh-huh. are your own brand. And so do all of it. So on our TikToks, like Tim said, he does a lot of interview career coaching resumes. Right. Um, so he's always putting out good tips like this, how you should job search, whatever. Right. Uh, then I'll do nutrition things, but then we'll post podcast clips of our episodes, episodes with other people. And it's just, you know, display your brand, what yeah. you do yeah. anyway, just add Repurpose. one more platform. I, yeah. I know yeah. it's a little more work, but I, I think with your type of content, especially when you start doing the, you know, the more plus size things, I think that would yeah. also just, you're, you become the hammer on TikTok. Totally. I know. It's we just saved, like, I just we didn't do want it. to, but we caved because yeah. we had a guy on the show that he was super bullish. Yeah. And he's like, you can get he goes, Instagram is super saturated. TikTok is still wild west and you can, you can get an audience. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And people like think like, yeah, TikTok is more short form. People are scrolling through a lot of stuff, yep. but like you could still put videos on that that are like a minute and a half, mm-hmm. two minute for, for a post. So like, I mean, it's kind of your, it's your brand, obviously. So if someone like you ask someone a question on the street and they have like a really relatable, authentic response, you can get that question and answer in like one video or mm-hmm. yeah. So many different totally. things. Totally. Yeah. And like you interview other characters in New York. Like I follow this one, Moses the jeweler. Uh-huh. And he's such a character. Like he's just, he's animated. He's supposed to be on the internet. And you link up with like a few people like that that are just sure. super charismatic. You do your interview thing and 
I mean, yeah. It's so funny because I I do some of it in a very like different way that I ever have before. Like I mm-hmm. find people like there's this one woman, for example, who like looked so fab. She was just walking on the street. I was like, you are electric, like your energy. I can just <laughs> feel it. And I was like, can I take your video? And I was just like, tell me what you're wearing. Like you look incredible. Where are you going? Like it was like a Tuesday at five o'clock. She had nowhere to go. <laughs> and she looked incredible. And it was just like, that video blew up and people mm-hmm. love that stuff. Totally. But they save um, some men for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I can, I totally, I agree. I do agree. Yeah. 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 Cool. <laughs> yeah. Now I feel like Jose just pushing TikTok. Yeah. 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 And we're, we're spreading the love. Yeah. But I mean, it's one of those things and Gary V talks about this is like, if one platform or app, if it just stops, existing for a day like that audience has to go somewhere right so it's all about like who who do you want to reach where are they hanging out because they're, they're hanging out somewhere online so yeah. and you can still link your things you can i see people with link trees all the time in tiktok totally. so you know send them to instagram if you want there's a whole link for it oh yeah so. i have it don't worry i'm i got oh, that yeah. All okay. set oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right next subject we're done <laughs> um cool. yeah so that's so then the situation. When, when did you move back to New York? Yes. Okay. So what I was doing, the challah like also took on this life that I really was not expecting of its own. Where like when I was in LA making the challah, um, I came back to New York City in July 2020. Um, okay. after like I guess three months of COVID, three, four months of COVID. And I was just like, the reason I came back was because I was like, what am I doing? I can't even leave my apartment. And I was living with a friend of mine from high school. And I was mm-hmm. just like, I, I I, can't even see LA. Like, why am I here? I was right. like, I'd rather be home closer to my family and just like stay inside until I can come out there. Right. Mm-hmm. So I came back to New York. And when I came back, that was when the Hala, Hala Dolly, like, really kind of happened. So I came back and people were like, oh my God, you're back in New York. Like, when can I get a challah? And I really had no intention of bringing it here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I guess I'm doing it here now. So I started to bake out of my apartment in New York City and people would come and pick it up. And it was crazy. Like, it was crazy. I had wait lists. I had it was me waking up at 5 a.m. using my one oven. Like it was, it was, it was crazy. Mm. And at, then at one point, Time Out New York had heard about what I was doing. And again, like very perfect storm. Like, you know, this story would not have happened had it not been for COVID, you know, and like there were a lot of really interesting, like small businesses that started this way during COVID. And, um, Time at New York had written this article about me. And when that happened, I really was like, oh no, like I need to leave my house. Because, I need two ovens. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, this is, this is, I can't have a bake sale out of my house. That's public. Yeah. Like that is not okay. So I was like, I need to go, I need to go find somewhere to bake. So mm. I reached out to this bakery on the Lower East Side. And it, exactly like you said, like I was like, you know, the, the restaurant industry also had been hit so hard, the food industry. So I was like, you need business and I need ovens. Like let's team up. Yep. So I, so what we did was we had a pop-up and we, we, her team and I, we baked a hundred loaves of challah and we, um, 
sold out for the end of the day. And we were wow. like, whoa, like we have something here. Like, yeah. let's do this. So then we started to do monthly pop-ups. And then from there, I was like, wait, I want to do wholesale. So then she would bake for me for wholesale. And I would get in an Uber and I would deliver hollas around the city to wow. different grocery stores. And then uh, the New Yorker wrote an article. And I was like, this is insane. Like, yeah. how, how is this happening? <laughs> Baking some so bread. Then, it was crazy. It was so crazy, but it was like all through social media. And like, and then I, Forbes wrote a profile on me and I oh, was wow. like, this is, this is just crazy. Like what the power of the internet can do if you can use it in the right way. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I moved out of her space and I moved into a larger kitchen and I now, you know, have a big, I work with a big wholesale bakery and I have a distributor and we sell to a bunch of stores around the city and I ship nationwide and it's like grown into this little small business and it just, you know, I, no, I would have never, I couldn't, if you told me like five years ago that this is what yeah. I would be doing, I'd be like, you're lying to my face. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that do what you, you asked me? I don't even remember. Neither do I, but this is the show. It's no, off the dome good. radio. So okay. <laughs> we go where we have to go. Well, yeah. my, my question is, uh, yeah, I'm sure like, do you have different flavors of it? I'm re- I'm really not familiar. Like, like what? Sure. Because let I'm, me tell you. Or like what uh what do you think has made it stick so much too as well? Definitely. Like, so has it become so popular? Sure. So challah bread is this Jewish bread, it's braided. Mm-hmm. And um why did it stick? Well, mine is really good. I think that that yeah, is yeah. really um that's important. Like it has to be, your product has to be good in order for it to, you know, work. Um, so it's really good, but I, it's so funny because my roommate from Los Angeles, my friend from high school, I called her my recipe developer because she was like, you should put everything seasoning on this, like everything seeds. Mm. And I was like, okay. So then we Mm -hmm. started to do an everything seed one. She's like, you should do like honey and cinnamon sugar. I was like, that sounds delicious. Okay. And I started to make these different flavors. And that was really when like it, it was that, that was unique. Like people didn't have these flavored halas. And, um, yeah, I mean, I also like never grew up religious. So this whole like Jewish food scene is very new to me. Mm. Um, but it's been really, nice to embrace that part of me that I had never like nurtured in my life before or really thought anything about. So that's been a really big kind of revelation for me too, is like who the people I've met, the stories that people have about like, you know, baking challah with their grandmothers and about like, you know, memories very much so attached to like Friday night Shabbat dinners with challah and like Mm -hmm. what that means. And it's very like community driven and challah is like such an inviting food where it's very indulgent and it's, you know, typically not for the everyday, but like my whole thing is like, eat it every day. It's so good. And, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's this, it's from like, you know, it's centuries old, but how do we give it this like new breath of life and this modern spin on it? Mm-hmm. And that's been really um, empowering for me to yeah, embrace. Yeah. That's cool. 
I love it. Now, would you be able to do like like a monkey or sticky type bread with challah, like a dessert bread? Like, you know, oh, this is for an appetizer. Totally. This is an entree bread. This is a charcuterie bread. Yes, totally. Um, Well, I sometimes show on my Instagram like different ways that you can use it. But like mm. it's really good to use for French toast. It's really oh, wow. good to use for bread puddings. And it's really good to use on a sh- I had a friend who like put it on a charcuterie board and it was Got so it. beautiful. Yeah. Um, so it's, it can be very versatile, even though it doesn't, it's not normally thought of that way. Um, yeah. But I have, I have four skews and, you know, it's so hard to bring in seasonal flavors or introduce new products when you are manufacturing on um like not on a teeny tiny scale of like an artisanal bakery, for example, like that can kind of have more variety because when you create a new SKU in your um, product line, like think about what has to go into that. You need to now source new ingredients. You need to create new labels. You need to, you know, get nutrition facts. You need to get people to buy it. And Mm -hmm. all of those things, like it's just... I'm not at a stage where I'm able to do that. Yeah. Mm. Fair. So I have my like four core that I just, that's what I have. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So what's the, what's the ultimate goal with your, your storytelling, the marketing business? What, I mean, if you don't have one yet, that's fine, but yeah. what, uh, what's at least next? Like, what are you trying to push towards? What's your next milestone you're trying to hit with the business? <sighs> wow. These are the hard questions i welcome to the show yeah welcome to the show yeah (laughs) this major leagues out here you know it's really funny because i think during covid i also had this big attitude shift of like you know i can't i don't have a crystal ball and i can't predict Mm -hmm. the future like no one expected covid to happen and no one expected everything that would happen because of covid and no one expect no one could control the feelings that they were feeling during covid or like their life circumstances right. and i have now like i've always i'm a pretty type a person where i'm very organized and like i'm always like you know wake up and i want to be productive and like i have to do lists and i i'm just that and i've also like embraced that part of me whereas before i'm like why am i so high strung but i'm like all right, that's who I am. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, I've been able to kind of like relax a little bit um and and not re- and realize that I don't have to have all the answers all the time because I like I said to you before, like I would have never expected that I would have a challah bread business at this point, like in my ever, ever in my life. And mm-hmm. I would have never expected that I would have put videos of me crying about what life was like growing up in a bigger body on the internet. And like, I don't know what's next because I have to like, I have to feel it. And mm-hmm. everything is truly like, a feeling and like following like this, you know, following a gut feeling that you have and like really leaning into that and doing what feels right at that moment in time. And like I said, too, you know, I think that there are different chapters or there are different things that serve you at different points in your life. So it's like, I don't know what what I want in five years because mm-hmm. I 
I don't know what my life is going to look like in five years, Mm -hmm. but like, I can tell you that, you know, in the next year I'm looking, I really am like craving a little bit more stability in my life. Um, I have been so go, go, go for the last three and a half years, um, and hustling to like make these little projects turn into something. And I'm, I'm just like finally realizing all of the work that I've done because sometimes when you're doing stuff, you're like very much like, you know, you have blinders on and you can't really see the big picture and you're Mm -hmm. always like looking down, doing the work, but like, I feel like since COVID, you know, has kind of subsided, like I've been able to be like, all right, let me evaluate what my life looks like right now. And what do I want to do? And I really am looking, I'm craving stability. Yeah. So yeah, I don't yeah. know what that looks like. I, I don't know that. what that looks that's, like. Yeah, good that's awareness good. though. Yeah. Cause you've done, you have done so much in the last, yeah. like you said, three and a half years and you've been <laughs> leading up and it's amazing. Like once you take time to like take a deep breath live in the present moment how much life slows down for a second for you and yeah i I get what you're talking about like to you like you you hold yourself to a standard and you do so much and sometimes it's tough to like really sit back and think about what you've done to get up to this point yeah so worried about the future so yeah i appreciate it but yeah i like really am I'm like, whoa, like, I feel like I just like woke up in three and a half years, just like flew by. And there were things that I did that I haven't even, I don't even think that I processed. So I just like, I'm kind of looking to like, think about all of that and figure out what is the next thing. So I don't, I don't know what is next, but I do think it's like something a little bit more with a little bit more stability where I can feel a little bit more grounded. Yeah. Cool. Good. I love that. Dolly, we've gone through a lot. (laughs) yes uh, <laughs> i knew i knew we, yeah we always have questions but i know it, the conversation always just goes naturally like we just kind of hit everything naturally so yeah that has been a good conversation uh before. tim any other questions for dolly before we kind of wrap um, things up a little bit i would just say one more question i had and i know you you hit on it you said like social media is constantly changing one thing may work this week one thing may work wouldn't work next week you've worked with a lot of different brands you've done a lot of brand storytelling no matter what happens with trends and everything, like what do all like successful brands have in common for you? Like what are some of the timeless things that you've noticed, whether it's 2023, whether it's 2017, like what are the, what characteristics do brands have that make Mm. them stick? Okay. Great question. Um, I, and I, I think that this is something that I really learned at HBO is how important communities are. Um, like, when you really step back and look at what does social media mean at HBO for a, a a franchise like game of Thrones, really, what is, what is that job? And it's really feeding a community. It's, you know, game of Thrones fans are rampant and they are loud and they are, they want what they want, you know, and how do you foster that community and, and be like a be like a positive experience for that community because they're, you know, and this almost like uh, social media is so interesting because it doesn't get close. No matter how high level you are at a company, there's nothing closer to the consumer than social media. Like mm-hmm. you are truly in their, in the palm of their hands and mm-hmm. you are speaking to them one-to-one where you don't have that opportunity anywhere else. 
So if you can think about it, like, how am I talking to this community of people? I think that that's really helpful. So like what I was saying, you know, I I mentioned that I freelance. So like I've had these great freelance experiences with, you know, brands like Netflix or Tribeca Film Festival, or um, I worked with Lena Dunham, who I don't know if you know who she Mm -hmm. is. That's so funny because you're boys. Um, But (laughs) have you ever heard of the show Girls on HBO? Nope. Uh Okay. How old are you? 28. Yeah, 28, 29. Okay. That is shocking to me. You guys. I don't don't watch a lot of TV. Yeah, not a lot of HBO. I'm a live sports person. Okay. Different different consumers. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well. I can't sit and watch a lot of shows just and do nothing. I have a problem just sitting. Yeah. Well, I bet you if you ask any other millennial girl if she's watched Girls, she has watched Girls. Anyway, it's Lena <laughs> Dunham. It's okay. Lena Dunham's TV show. Okay. And I work with her and I've worked with um, you know, like smaller brands too, like a, you know, a black-owned skincare company and um I've worked with who else? Oh my god. Like a fashion company and we just mm-hmm. had a show for New York Fashion Week. So the range is is quite wide you know and like like i was explaining before of like i've had this experience of working entertainment real estate food but there is like this through line through it all and through my experiences of working with these people and brands and communities or people brands and companies i've learned that the the best way to speak with these people is is to tailor the conversation to the community Mm -hmm. um that is really like who you are talking to and who you are serving. And that's who wants to hear you. Yeah. Makes yeah, sense. I love Makes that. Makes a lot of sense. Dolly, yeah. anything else you want to touch on before? So we always have a, a final question we ask everybody. So regardless okay. where we go, we always have one, but anything else that you want to hit on, say something we didn't get to. God, it was so thorough. I really, like, <laughs> I feel like we talked about every possible we we covered a lot yeah yeah Yeah. and i i hope i wasn't rambling or no this is about you okay we won't ramble ramble okay okay we've Um, had some where we got to like extract information sure it's just it's painful to go back and re-listen to we don't have a lot of those we had maybe one or two in like year two or three so we don't have it anymore but yours has been good yeah the the best podcast interviews are the ones that have the most unique stories and this interview had a lot of unique stories so i think it was really i appreciate you have so much we can work with so it's just give and take it's nice i appreciate it um my last thing that i would say is i mean this is what i tell anyone who is always like who who anyone who asks me for advice i always just say like Truly, you just have to do it. Like mm. Nike swoosh, just do it is truly like the best motto in life to live by because you can do truly anything that you want if you just do the thing. And mm. it might not, you know, I also, a lot of people are always like, well, you know, I, I've created this web series or this podcast and like, I just don't think it's right yet. And I'm like, it's never going to be right, right ever. Do it, put it out into the world because Version two can never be what it is without version one. And it's always evolving. So once you just do the thing, it turns into something else. And I don't know, that's my like best piece of advice. And like the one thing I try to remember at all times, it's like, all right, I say I want to do this thing, like do it. And who knows what it'll turn into. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's working for you. 
I don't, you know, it, well, it's just crazy. Like, I don't think I'd have a Hala company if I didn't have my Hello Dolly web series in at Indiana University. Like, I just, yeah. it wouldn't have happened. So mm-hmm. you just do it. Yeah. Right. So right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So our last tough question for you. Okay. Uh, we, <laughs> you know, this one's coming. That was in the list. You know, did so... you, I, you know what? I, I don't remember it. <laughs> All right. Well, Uh-oh. so we do have a written exam. We'll send you via email. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so like within 48 hours. Oh no. By okay. 11.59. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so we always like to know when, you know, your time here is done. Uh, how do you want people to remember you? Okay. Um, and the way, Tim, do you want to add your... No, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a version of a question. Okay. <laughs> then we ask if, if we do a round two, we have a different question. Oh, that's, of a that's follow-up good. question, but Se- this is our question. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so, okay. Yeah, how do you want people to remember you? Okay. I want people to remember that I... Like, I want people to remember the energy and like the... Yeah, I want people to remember the energy that I put into things and what that feels like. Like when I commit to something, I commit. And when I feel passionately about something, I'm going to feel really passionately about it. And I just want people to remember me as like somebody who gave it their all whenever, you know, there was a task at hand or whenever I had an idea and I was just, I'm just that person who gets it done and, and is excited to learn and do the thing along the way. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Immerse yourself. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Described, you described it well before. Whenever yeah. you do anything, you yeah, you go all in. So what is that from? No, you said earlier in the interview how when you, you did your ventures, you you got fully immersed in it. So yeah, that's yeah. perfectly yeah. putting a bow on it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm awesome. really like, I'm really not good at faking stuff. Like I mm-hmm. just, if I'm not into it, like That's even good. like that. <laughs> yeah. I guess like that job at YouTube, I was there for six months. I was like, yeah, this is not going to work. I got to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys so much. This was, yeah, it was so you. nice to meet you. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. Likewise. A lot of fun. Gosh. Yeah. So, um, I yeah, like Tim it. said, we'll, uh, we'll get an intro on it and probably have what okay. a week or two have it tour. Yeah. By the end of, you. you should have it by the end of the next week, the version of it. Okay. Then, yeah, yeah. We'll go from there. We cut videos and stuff and we'll send you a drive so you can cool. access like clips and stuff, whatever you want and use them however you want to, too. Okay. Sounds good. So Thank like you. One ends up on TikTok, you know. Right. Viral. I'll I'll be I'll give it a like. I'll you know, I'll engage. <laughs> I'll engage with the post. Yeah. Welcome to our community. Man. Yeah. I love it. Perfect. Hey. Awesome. Thank well, you guys. Great yep. to Thank meet you. you. Yeah. Thank have you. a great rest of your day. Right. Okay. Talk later. Bye. Bye. Bye.